Good morning, everybody. Why don't we start with prayer this morning, and uh, then we're going to look at God's Word. Let's pray. Lord, um, we are gathered together as your people to hear from you. Uh, Lord, you are, you, are our, you are our teacher, and Lord, we look to you uh, from your hand um, to hear what you have for us this morning, Lord. Um, we didn't come up with this word. We're all just recipients of it, Lord. You are the one who um, is uh, the giver, and Lord, we uh, want to hear from you above all, Lord, and I pray that as I speak, it would be um, accurate and, and um, Lord, what we need to hear, Lord, what you want your saints to hear from your word this morning. Um, Lord, we want to be doers, not mere hearers, so Lord, um, make your word effective in our lives, Lord, and help us to come away um, encouraged, Lord, and, um, and corrected if we need it, Lord, but overall, Lord, just encouraged that um, you are for us as we started out this morning with the first song, Lord, you are you are for us in all of, all of our lives in every, every way, Lord. You want us to succeed, and Lord, you're not against us. Um, Satan is against us. He's the adversary, Lord. You are not the adversary. You are, are for us in all things, including in our, our giving, Lord, in the way that we uh, go about living our lives, and um, Lord, um, giving to real needs and real things that are of vital significance for the kingdom. So um, be with us right now. Right now during this time, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so last week I went through like a zillion points on my first point, all right? I don't know, it was like nine, it wasn't a zillion, right? Um, but what I wanted to do is just um, read those from the start from last week, kind of a little mini review. I'm not going to go through in any, any detail at all, just, uh, just kind of reading off point by point what I went over last night. So uh, last night, last Sunday, whew, got to get my mind right. Um, so... What I'm doing here, trying to do, is on the topic of giving from the scriptures, is just kind of narrow it down, funnel down to, from kind of general to specific um, rubber meets the road type stuff. So last Sunday, not last night, <laughs> we looked at um, what should you, uh, sorry, why should you give? Um, what is the reason that anyone should give any of their resources to anyone else, um, according to the scriptures? And these are the points that I um, whenever. So first of all is that giving is expected and commanded, so it's not an optional thing. It's not for some Christians and not for others. Um, secondly, that giving is necessary. So um, if we don't give, then that has real repercussions within the world around us and people that we know around us. Uh, we, we do actually have to give. Um, God isn't going to drop dollar bills out of heaven contra um, what some so-called teachers would say. Um, Giving is blessed. It's a blessed thing to give. As Jesus said, it's, better, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Um, giving is a, is a thing that's pleasing to the Lord, and all Christians want to please the Lord. So it's one way that we can tangibly know we're pleasing the Lord in our giving. He's always pleased with that. Um, giving results in thanksgiving to God. So it's, we're entangled with other people, obviously, when we give, especially giving to um, you know, real pressing needs that certainly... Um, you know, brings about thanksgiving. Um, so it, it brings, again, worship to God, thanksgiving. Um, nextly, giving demonstrates the, the love of Christ um, to fellow Christians in the world. So we can talk about love all day long, but, you know, how are people going to know that we have love? It's partially by our giving, right? Um, Matt went over some of this this morning in Sunday school in the way that the, the pagan world and the Christian world were really diametrically opposed, but pagans saw what Christians were doing. They're like, oh, wait a minute, these Christians are 
we're falling down the job. We've got to re, you know, revamp our paganism and bring it back into the light, right? So, no, Christians have always been people who love Christ and love one another and love the world and therefore give. Um, two more points. Giving is the ultimate savings program, which sounds odd on the surface of things, but Jesus says that we shouldn't store up treasures here, not because storing up treasures is bad per se. He says, don't store them up here. Store them up there. Store them up in heaven, right? In the world to come. Um, it's, it's a savings program of sorts. And lastly, we should give because we have received. So the ultimate why is always rooted in the gospel. We give because we know the Lord and we know that he is gracious and compassionate and has been toward us. So how can we but give, right? As people who've been recipients of grace. So those are all some, I'm sure not, ex- not an exhaustive list, but some, I think, biblically warranted and grounded reasons why we should give. So what I want to do this morning is move into the next sort of pair of questions, which is, in what manner should we give, or what should our attitude be when we give? Um, so again, we're kind of narrowing the funnel down to more and more specifics, but um, the, scriptures has, the scripture has, uh, scriptures have a lot to say to us about the manner we give and the attitude that we adopt in giving, just in general. So we're going to be looking at uh, several different passages um, some are a little bit lengthier than others, but to start with, you can turn to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, which is a passage we looked at last week as well. And I'll just read it to start with. Jesus says, um, Sermon on the Mount, right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you will have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. So when you give to the poor... Do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be honored by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving will be in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So the the first point I want to draw draw out from what Jesus says here is right on the surface. It's not really drawing out, but just repeating, is that Jesus says... Firstly, that the manner of our, of our giving should be in secret, right? It's not something we should be placarding or announcing for all to see, right? Um, that's what the hypocrites do. Um, Jesus wants us to give without intentionally drawing the gaze of others to ourselves, right? Um, that's one reason, among others, that we don't pass a plate around here. I don't know how many of you grew up in churches that did that, passing a plate, but it's just a little weird. It's, it's kind of hard to give in secret and not let your left hand know what your, what your right hand is doing when everyone around you sees how much you put into an offering plate. Um, so it really comes down to, to motives, doesn't it? Um, that Jesus, Jesus is saying, don't be like these people who announce with a trumpet. Now, I don't know if that's something they actually did or not. That's pretty intense, right? You're going to announce with a trumpet to get everyone's attention to let them know, hey, I'm about to give a lot of money. You should pay attention to me. That's pretty bad. Um, but, um, yeah, it, it comes down to motives. What are our motives? Is it, are we concerned ultimately with being righteous in our giving or appearing righteous in our giving? That's really what it's all about, isn't it, that Jesus is getting at? Do we want to actually be righteous in giving or just appear to be so? Um, that's that's what, it's, what he's talking about here. Um, in our giving, we're to have essentially an audience of one. We regard God and really none others in a sense, right? That he's the one that we're, we're trying to honor and, and glory in and not care what other people think about us in that respect. 
Now there's one caveat to this, which is, you probably maybe be think, might be thinking about it, but um, Jesus says just a little bit earlier in the Sermon on the Mount that, um, that we are to let our light shine before men in such a way that they may see our good works and glorify, I'm putting our, of course he's talking to his disciples, but see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Now wait a minute, <laughs> Jesus says, we're supposed to let our light shine so they can see our good works, but yet we're supposed to not let our right hand know what our left hand is doing. What's, <laughs> seems kind of uh, in, in tension, doesn't it, at the very least. But I think it comes down again to a couple of things. One is, of course, motive, as I already said. Jesus is getting at the heart. So just because I see someone, let's go back to the passing offering plate situation. Just because an offering plate is passed and someone puts dollars in there in front of everybody else doesn't mean their intention is to you know, um, make themselves look good by putting in a lot of money. Their intentions may be perfectly valid, and I'm sure a lot of, hopefully most people were that way in church when I grew up. They were just putting the money in the plate because that's what you did, and they didn't, weren't trying to be um, self-righteous or anything like that. Um, so there's motive, but also Jesus is sort of addressing two different situations here. One is in the passage we just read in, um, in Matthew 6, he's warning us against self-righteousness, isn't he? Uh, about appearing to you know, prop ourselves up and uh, you know, appearing to be something that we're not really. We want to just look good in the eyes of men. On the other hand, in this passage in Matthew about letting people see our good works, actively making it obvious that we have good works, um, is a warning against fearing men and withdrawing from and engaging with the world, you know, because that's the temptation too, isn't it? That we would just shrink back in such a way out of fear, and in this case, you know, in in the context of the New Testament, they had much more reason to fear than we do sitting right here comfortably in in this church building, but um, to withdraw out of various reasons, but including fear, and not let our light shine, right? Jesus says we shouldn't hide our our light under a basket, right? We're to, to let it shine. Let all men see what we're all about, that we are his disciples. Um, so giving in secret, it's not supposed to be done for all to see um, necessarily as far as in, in the wrong way with our, our motives, of course. Um, that's firstly. Secondly, we're to, in, in, this pa- in this passage again in Matthew 6, we're to give expecting a reward from God. Now I talked about this a little bit last last week, um, but I want to touch on it a little bit more this week. So Jesus sa- says this. It's very obvious, again, on the surface of the text. I'm not digging for something that's not there. Jesus says, hey, you'll, your Father will reward you when you give in secret, when you pray in secret, right? You'll be rewarded from God. Um, at first glance, it seems rather self-serving, doesn't it? I mean, let's be honest. It sounds like, well, wouldn't it be better just to give and not expect anything in return? And that's actually not the way Christianity works, <laughs> um, in a sense. When you look all throughout the scriptures, um, Old Testament, New Testament, God does not expect us to um, give without expectation of, in the case of giving materially, that God's going to repay us in some sense. In the, in the last day, in the eschaton, right, when Jesus comes back, he's going to deal out retribution to those who do not obey the gospel, but he's also going to reward and bless those of us who know the Lord, right? Aren't we waiting for that? The blessed hope is Jesus himself and everything that comes with Jesus, all the blessings that accompany Jesus and and who he is. I mean, God is the giver, is he not? Is this not one function of God that he is a giver? That's what he delights to do. He gives to all men. Jesus says he sends his reign on the just and the unjust, right? I mean, that's pretty remarkable. People spit in God's face and he sends his, his reign on them. That's because God is a giver. That's something he wants to do. 
So with his children, us who have faith in him, he wants to bless you, (laughs) ultimately, in every way, right? Now we're not gonna see that blessing fully come about until the last day, right? But he wants to bless you. We don't wanna be swinging the other side where we're, oh, that sounds Pentecostal, you know? That sounds like a, you know, some license plate thing or some vanity plate, right? It's not that. It's that, unfortunately, Satan's really good at taking something real and flipping it around, right? He's the twister of, of scripture, you know? But blessing is all throughout, as we know, the, the scriptures, and God wants to bless us, his people. So it's not wrong to think, hey, if I give now and release my possessions to help someone else, God's gonna more than pay me back for this later in some way. Whatever, whatever that, looks, that looks like, he's gonna do it, right? Old Testament passage, uh, Proverbs 19, verse 17. One who is gracious to a poor person lends to Yahweh, and he will repay him for his good deed. There it is, right? So this, this idea I mentioned last week of reciprocity in the Greco-Roman world of, you know, you do something for me, then I in return will do something for you. That's really kind of what's going on here, but it's God who's the one who repays. You know, we're not supposed to, you know, lend only to others who can repay us, Jesus says, right? We're not supposed to just give to those who can scratch our back in return. But... <laughs> That doesn't mean that there won't be a return back scratch, so to speak. It's God who's the one who will reward us for what we do, right? Um, so it sounds strange in one sense, but it's right there on the surface of the scriptures. Um, and, you know, the rewards are not, I don't think they're just in the future either. You know, we'll get into this more in a moment, but some of the reward comes in this life also. When we give to alleviate a need, maybe we're in need ourselves later on, Right? And God will take care of us because he sees we have a heart to give and help others, right? Um, But it seems like the bulk, when you go through the the New Testament, the Old Testament as well, the bulk of the passages that focus on blessing and, you know, and reward and so forth is mostly eschatological, meaning in, in times, end of history, Jesus comes back type of stuff, okay? Not in this present day. And that's where, you know, as we know, but I'll just say it, your best life now is so messed up, right? Because that is not, it's not that there isn't a best life, it's the now part, right? I have no problem with your best life, it's the now part that's the problem, isn't it? Um, so, Jesus says, Matthew 25, 1, just another text that ties us in here. Um, at the end of a parable, he says, enter into the joy of your master. That's sort of a, a nice little phrase that captures the whole, the whole of reward and blessing that God is going to you know, dole out to those who are his, right? You're going to enter, enter into the joy of your master. It's not divorced from the master himself, but it's the master in all the goodness that comes with him, right? It's God in all his glory and all his goodness poured out on a person. Hard to imagine, isn't it? So if, if that is what God's going to do for us, then of course we can give a little bit now, right? Right? It makes it a lot easier to open your purse or your, or your wallet or whatever, wherever you keep your money, um, to transfer Bitcoin <laughs> if you know that that is what is the case, that God is going to more than repay you in the, in the future. Third point, <clears throat> how, should we get, how should we give? We should give cheerfully. Let's flip over to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I mentioned last week that this is the longest giving passage in the New Testament because it is. Um, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but again, just to kind of set the context, I know I mentioned it last week, but again, Paul is writing to the Corinthian church. Uh, He's on this 
you know, in this chapter, a couple of chapters at least, on a fundraising mission. He's trying to raise funds for the church in Jerusalem, and the Corinthian church had already pre-pledged some money, and they had been saving up week by week, putting it away, laying it aside for the, for the good of the church in Jerusalem that was struggling. And by struggling, I don't mean they were gonna buy a 55-inch TV, but, you know, they can't, they had to go down to a 42. They're really struggling. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about need, right? I'm talking about actual clothing, food, shelter, things that you need. Um, and they were struggling. And Paul um, is writing the Corinthians in these couple of chapters to say, hey, you promised to give some money. I'm just kind of encouraging you. It's, the time is coming up when it's gonna be time to give. So he's sort of prodding them in various ways to make sure they're ready to give that money that they had, had pledged to give, right? Um, and one of the things he says, which is so key, is this, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Why does God love a cheerful giver? Because God is a cheerful giver, right? Back to my point that I made just a few minutes ago. God loves to give. That is the nature of God. He is a giver. And he gives cheerfully. He doesn't give begrudgingly, right? Um, every good and perfect gift from, comes from, down from above, right? That's good and perfect. Every good and perfect gift comes from God, from above. Um, anything, that, anything that anyone enjoys, whether it be b- believer or unbeliever, that's not sinful, is from God, isn't it? We know there are pleasures of sin that are really, it's, it's pleasure, that's ra- it's, it's actually death wrapped in pleasure, <laughs> but that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about anything that's really good, you know? Anything that really you can thank God for. Um, it all comes from the Lord. So God is a cheerful giver, and he wants his people in our giving to be cheerful. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means it's a matter of the heart. It's not just a, a duty that we discharge, right? Now, obviously, it's better to discharge the duty. I mean, it's, it's better that the Corinthian church give the money than not give the money because there's a real need in Jerusalem. However, it's best that they give cheerfully. Same with us, right? Um, It's good to give even when we don't feel like it, but it's better to give with a heart full of love and joy because we know we're pleasing God and we're helping others who have real need or help or, you know, just committing, uh, we've made commitments to provide for um, leadership or missionaries, or whatever it is. We're gonna get into the details of that next week, but whatever giving we do, cheerfully, is the way that we should be doing it. Above all, the amount that we give, as Paul says here, is between us and God. But whatever amount we decide upon should be given with cheerfulness of heart. This is not a, um, a forced redistribution of wealth. I've been listening to a book on, um, basically, economics, but it's called The Poverty of Nations, a really good book. But I was listening to the chapter on communism and socialism, and you just, you think about it, you're like, okay, so Karl Marx, he actually, he was trying to, in a really distorted way, draw from the scriptures for his, his, uh, totally wrong, but draw from the scriptures for uh, communism, and he thought that the, the, uh, the first century church in Acts, the way it's described, it was essentially what he, what we now know as communism, Well, that's not the case, of course. No one was making any of the saints in the church uh, the church in Acts, you know, the, the churches that are discussed in Acts, um, give anything. It was voluntary. 
It wasn't um, under compulsion whatsoever. You remember when Ananias and Sapphira, situation Acts 5, Ananias is withholding money from a field they sold, right? Making it look, speaking of self-righteousness, making it look like, hey, yeah, we're giving everything, and by the way, we're keeping some in our piggy bank. And Peter says to him, was it not yours when you sold it? You didn't have to give it. I mean, no one's making you give this money. You're just trying to prop yourself up and make yourself look like you're a better giver or bigger giver than you are. Um, But God knows, the Holy Spirit knows. So he wants us to be a cheerful giver and that involves not being forced, right? Now, that does not undermine the, the reality that we are to give, that is a command, okay? When I say forced, I mean the, the amount, right? Um, or if, I mean, there are people in the world who have nothing to give. I'm not acting like everybody can give, right? I know people are des- uh, desperately poor in many countries. Uh, I think about, you know, CAR, you can't help but think about them. I was looking at the, the per capita income of CAR, uh, Central African Republic, for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, but um, Central African Republic is one of the lowest in the world for per, per capita income. You know, it's just incredibly low. It's like 400 and something dollars, I think. And it was, but I think it was like 67,000 for the U.S. roughly. So just that gives you a comparison point. 67,000 to $444 or whatever it was. I mean, good gracious. I mean, these people are desperately poor, right? So we support them um, in many ways. Um, so anyways, the point is, that yes, giving is expected, but the amount that's given and the, the way it's done is not under compulsion or begrudgingly as if God is saying, yeah, or Paul is saying, you gotta give, you gotta give. Paul doesn't do that here in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. He specifically says that he is not going to do that. Um, but cheerfully. We can say more about that. I'll move on for now. Secondly, we should give generously. Um, let's look at the same chapter, 2 Corinthians 9. I'm going to read verses 6 through, 6 through 11. So I know we read 6 already, but I'm going to read through, through uh, 11. Let me flip over. I'm in 1 Corinthians. That doesn't help. Let's see. All right, chapter 9, verses 6 through 11. So Paul says, <clears throat> Now this I say, that he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed, as it is written. He scattered abroad, he gave to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality, through which, uh, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. So you, you see in this text that a couple of times, generosity of the saints. Paul has already brought, this, already brought up this issue of generosity as an example to the church in Corinthians, uh, I'm sorry, in Corinth, by talking about the churches of Macedonia who were desperately poor. Um, he says, chapter eight of 2 Corinthians, um, Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God, which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, not communism, freely, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. 
And this, well, I'll just stop there. I could read on. But you hear Paul's, you can hear Paul's heart here in describing this. Paul is moved by this church who's desperately poor. Paul knows what it's like to be poor. He's been both, as he says in Philippians. He's, he's been in plenty and he's been in want. He knows how to do both. He's been in both situations, right? We know he's been shipwrecked. We know he's been beaten. Paul knows he's been in jail, right? He will be in jail. He knows what suffering is about. So he, he understands what it's like to be seemingly at the end of your rope and then to give, right, out of that state. So he tells the Corinthians about this, this situation by the churches in Macedonia, giving from their deep poverty um, and affliction. And he uses that not to shame them in any way, but to set the context for what's going on, right? He's trying to set the context. Corinth was a pretty wealthy city. It's a, it's, you know, I'm not saying there was no poverty there, but don't get me wrong, but by comparison to these churches in Macedonia, um, Corinth should be able to, um, to fulfill their previous obligation to give to the saints, right? And so Paul is bringing this in. But what I want to point out here is that we should note the generosity involved with this church, the churches of Macedonia, right? They gave generously. And Paul, as he says, as we read in 2 Corinthians 9, is saying that Christians should also be giving generously, knowing that God will give you even more. So you can give generous, generously yet again, right? So we kind of think, okay, well, I don't have much to give, so I'm going to withhold it. But actually, it's the other way around, that if we give what we do have, then God will give us more so we can give again. This is the way it goes, right? It's like the widow of Zarephath, right? It's, it's never running out, right? The, the oil's not running out. Um, Michelle was joking about a stapler we have at home that she said she's used that stapler for like, I don't know, like a year or two, and it's like it never runs out of staples. It's like the stapler of Zarephath or something. So um, anyways, it's not pertinent to our time this morning, but just thought about it. But God is able to do this, right? Um, now, he, he who supplies seed to the sower, that's God, and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality. So what is he talking about? God will bless you so you can use it on yourself, spend it on yourself, health and wealth gospel? No, it's not. Now, Paul's not saying you can't use any of it on yourself. He wants... I mean, he says here, he doesn't want them to be afflicted and others to be you know, taken care of. It's for equality. Not equality of outcome, like, okay, this person has a 55-inch screen, I have to have a 55-inch screen. You know? It's not social justice like that. It's equality in the respect to need. That there shouldn't be, if you have scales, and you know, the churches in this region are doing okay, and these churches, are, these churches over here are doing fine, and the scales tip, where this, these churches are not doing so hot anymore, that the churches over here will give to that need and balance the scales. And likewise, if the scales tip the other direction, then God will work it out so these churches or others will give to their need, right? Back and forth. Reciprocity in a sense, okay? But it's God who's the giver. He's the one who gives the seed for sowing and the bread for food. Um, God isn't looking for a big pocketbook or a wallet, <laughs> It's not like that's what he needs. He needs a heart, a generous heart. That's all he needs, <laughs> you know? It's the Moses thing, right? You're like, ah, oh, Moses is like, I'm not, you know, I'm not a good speaker. I can't go out and, and, and go to Pharaoh and say all these things, God. And God's like, you don't understand, you know? It's not about you and your abilities. That's irrelevant. I'll give you those things. Just obey, right? 
And it's the same way with giving. God's not looking for us to, you know, wait till we reach a certain point in our bank account where we're like, okay, now I'll give or whatever. It's no, give, right? And give generously, whatever that means for you. It means different things to different people amount-wise, but that's the principle. And then God will give you more, right? So you can give to others. Now, we know this looks differently depending on context. I'm not trying to, um, it's a general principle, right? But in, in general, general, God is going to do this. He is going to take care of you. Um, he will never leave you or forsake you. We'll have an abundance for every good deed. Um, givers will both have their needs met and be able to meet the needs of others. Um, again, very different from health and wealth gospel because um, with the health and wealth gospel, the, fo- the focus is solely on yourself, isn't it? And we can never say that enough that, because we live in a, I mean, you know, just churches down the, down the road from us, big deal, health and wealth churches right now. We're not trying to go, you know, get involved with them as far as picking on them, you know, and engaging in that sense. But I know that people here with family members, members and friends, you engage with people affected by health and wealth gospel. And we definitely want to have the, the balance right in our response, correct? It's not, it's not good for Christians to ride the pendulum, right? To swing back and forth. That's not a Christian way of approaching any topic. We're supposed to stand firm in the scriptures, whatever it says, and not be swayed by winds and waves of doctrine, right? Um, so, but as far as health and wealth concern is concerned, again, there is a reward for giving. That's not the issue. There is treasure, but it's in heaven. So we can give generously as Christians who know what it's like to receive generously, generously from the Lord. Um, let's look at First Timothy chapter 6. I'm going to look at, um, read verses 17 and 19, 17 through 19, if you want to turn there. Instruct those, well, let me say this for a second, quickly about 1 Timothy. Um, so in 1 Timothy, the context is false teaching, as is often the case in most of the letters of Paul. There's some kind of false teaching going on, right? Well, in the case of 1 Timothy, there are false teachers who are teaching for dishonest gain, right? They think that the gospel is a way to make money. Sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? <laughs> to our context today, nothing ever changes, right? So Paul is addressing um, not the false teachers directly, but writing to Timothy and telling him how he, he ought to regard himself and, and these false teachers and how he ought to deal with them. But um, there's a lot in, in 1 Timothy about riches and, and specifically in this passage about how the rich um, are to regard themselves. And here's what he says. Instruct those who are rich in this present world, so rich Christians, obviously, not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich, <clears throat> excuse me, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. So, again, I agree with the health and wealth teachers on one point. God wants us to be rich. But it's the way in which he wants us to be rich. In this passage, it's be rich toward God, to be rich in good deeds, you know, in good works. Um, This is the only way the Bible says every Christian is to be rich. It's not to say that no Christians will be materially rich. We just read about some right here. There are rich Christians in the world. In this passage, we see them. Um, We know that. 
Some of us might consider ourselves rich. Maybe we're all rich compared to most places in the world, right? So it depends on how you evaluate yourself or you know, think about it. But nonetheless, the point is this, that we're all sub- supposed to be rich in good works, generous, and ready to share. Just doing good, right? Again, the principle that we saw all over in 2 Corinthians, that if you have something, that you can you know, have resources, monetary resources or whatever, food, clothing, whatever it is, and you can help other people that are in need, then we should help them. Pretty simple, pretty straightforward. Um, but the language that, that Paul uses here is really interesting because it's, um, he, he draws from Jesus, you know, uh, talking about storing up treasures, treasures in heaven, storing up themsel- for themselves the treasure of a good foundation. It's kind of a mixed metaphor. So you're storing up treasures, but it's also a good foundation. So it's, it's, it's kind of a mixed thing going on here. But he uses this foundation language of something belonging to a foundation because of what he says about riches and how the riches are tied to uncertainty, right? The hope that people have in riches is uncertain, whether they know it or not. You think we would learn this lesson by now in world history that riches are not forever, right? Listen to James. I'm going to flip over to James and read a passage to you. James chapter 1, James has a lot to say about money and riches and wealth and giving and so forth. But James is writing to a church that apparently has some rich and probably most poor. Uh, most of the, uh, the people he's writing to are poor, but there were some rich people in the, as part of the church. And he says in verse 9 of chapter 1, but the brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position, and the rich man is to glory in his humiliation, because like flowering grass he will pass away uncertainty of riches, right? For the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass, and its flower falls off, and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So too, the rich man, in the midst of his pursuits, will fade away. Interesting. In the midst of his pursuits. It's like that passage where Jesus says, you know, they'll be eating and drinking up until, or, you know, or he's talking about Noah and the ark. They were eating and drinking right up until the day when the flood came and took them all away, right? In the midst of their pursuits, they'll be taken away. Right up until the very time when destruction is coming, they'll be thinking, yeah, riches are pretty certain, right? Now, again, Jesus is not against saving money or being responsible with money or anything like that. But it's, again, your heart attitude, your, the way that you approach money. Is it, is it your stronghold, like we talked about last week, you know, that it's, it's a, a fortress to you? Or is God your stronghold? We, we heard this morning, a mighty fortress is our God. We sang it together, right? Martin Luther didn't sing about money being his mighty fortress because it's ridiculous. It's not a fortress, right? Ultimately, it's an ultimate fortress. It can do some measure of good for you. It can protect you from certain things, but God is the one who gives and takes away and he can do it at any time. It's uncertain. In this way, Paul undermines the way that those with money are to regard their status as rich, going back to um, 1 Timothy 6. They ought to own up um, to it, I'm sorry, I don't know what I put here. They have to own up to it, their status of, of being rich by being rich toward God by way of being rich in good deeds. So there are lots of play, uh, there's, uh, play on words in this, in this passage here about riches and being rich and God blessing richly and so forth. But by giving away now, the rich are storing up for themselves treasures for the future, a firm foundation, right? Um, Here's a, one more text to read from the Old Testament. Psalm 37, 21. The wicked borrows and does not pay back, 
but the righteous is gracious and gives. Again, on the topic of generosity, this is what righteous people do, you know? Wicked, wicked people think they're gonna hold back and God actually strips them of their riches <laughs> oftentimes. Not, not all the time, of course, because again, we just read in James, up until the very day that there's you know, destruction coming for the wicked, whether it be now in some sense or later on, you know, they, they have their riches, but oftentimes God will uh, work it out so that those who give are the ones who have the most as far as in their bank account, so they can bless others, right? Next point, give while trusting in God to meet our needs. This is another way in which we should give. This is another mindset we should have. Um, So, having said all of the above about meeting the needs of others, we should also be clear that God will meet our needs when the shoe is on the other foot. I've already talked about this from 2 Corinthians, but listen to Philippians 4. So Paul says, Philippians 4, verses 17 through 19. Not that I seek the gift itself. So he's saying, okay, you you Philippians have helped me out numerous times. You've given me money, gift, a gift to help me, right? But I don't really seek the gift itself. For I seek for the profit which increases to your account. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus that which you have sent, a fragrant aroma and acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now, what is he talking about when he says, my God will supply all your needs to the Philippian church? Is he just talking about just money or material things? Or is it something more? I think it's a both and in this case. I think he's definitely talking about material needs. Meaning, you know, okay, you've given to me. Now, Paul's in prison and he's writing, writing, from prison when he writes the letter to Philippians, right? Um, however, he's saying, even though I'm, I'm poor, I don't have any money, I mean, I'm in, I'm in jail, right? I need people bringing stuff to me, I can't provide for you guys. But God, my God, will supply all your needs, right? According to what? His riches and glory, right? Um, riches and glory in Christ Jesus. The last sentence of this passage is amazing because it's not over-spiritualized or under-spiritualized. What I mean is that God doesn't say, uh, Paul doesn't say God will meet your material needs, nor does he say God will meet your spiritual needs. I think it's a both and. He's saying God's gonna meet all your needs, whether it's you need money, or you need food, or you need clothing, or whatever it is, or you need endurance, or you need patience, or you need contentment, whatever it is, God's going to meet all your needs according to his ample supplies, which is inexhaustible, right? According to his, the riches, his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Point is, God will meet that need for them and for us also in the midst of our generous giving, in the midst of it, right? So we should never, if, if you ever think, well, I can't give because I might have this need like six months from now, I'm not, I'm not saying give if you have a need now. Paul would say, no, if you have a need now, then don't give. <laughs> don't give out of what you don't have. But if you're thinking, oh, I mean, I see this need here, this brother or sister's without daily food, but... I might need that money later. That's not a good reason to not give, according to the scriptures. If you see a brother or sister in need now or there's something pressing before you, right? We have to give now knowing that God will take care of us later. That's faith, right? You have to have faith in the Lord that he will provide for us. A couple more passages in this regard about God meeting our needs. Proverbs 3, 9 through 10. Honor Yahweh from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. 
So in this case, it's not even given God will kind of basically meet your needs. It's you, you honored the Lord with your wealth and your produce and God's gonna make you overflow. Now we know that's not just to spend it on your pleasures as James says, but it's still, he'll make you to overflow nonetheless, right? This is what God does to those who have a heart for the Lord. Proverbs eleven twenty five: the generous man will be prosperous and he who waters will himself be watered. Again, there's that idea of God's gonna take care of you, you know? If you, if you, it's a, it's a, it's a um, counterintuitive thing. So I'm gonna have by giving away. Yes, <laughs> that's right. You're gonna have by giving away. That's, that's the teaching of the scripture, which is so counterintuitive to everybody, but especially in our culture, right, where we think we've gotta always have everything right in the ledger and you're looking forward to you know, saving this and that and the other thing and we have everything so tight And I think the Lord would say, yeah, but it's good to save, it's good to watch your finances closely, but you gotta remember something, that I'm able to meet all your needs when you give, when there's a felt, you know, there's a pressing need or something, some reason that needs to, some some reason that you need to give give of your money or, or resources at the time, God's gonna take care of you later. You will be watered. Okay, um, last, last point this morning. Give, there's another reason to give, or way, a manner, I'm sorry, in which we should give. Give being contented with what you have left to enjoy for yourself. So same passage in 1 Timothy um, 6, 17. Paul says, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty rich, of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. It's really easy to fall off the horse again, you know, to think, eh, okay, all this stuff about giving, I guess I can't use any of the money that God gives me, any of the, my hard-earned cash to spend it on myself. Well, no, that's, that's not what Paul says. Paul says over in Philippians 4 that he knows how to abound. Paul has been in situations where he's abounded, right? And Jesus goes and sits down and dines, having these lavish meals, right? Um, so it's not that, it's not so much that it's a matter of, you know, shifting over to, uh, switching gears to asceticism. Asceticism is of no value, according to Paul in Colossians. It's of no value. <laughs> it's against fleshly indul- indulgence. It sounds wise, right, that you, you're going to s- be super spiritual by stripping yourself of all these things and, you know, and really, you know, harsh treatment of the body and all these things that you think is really, it sounds wise on the surface, as, as Paul is addressing Colossians, these these, these teachers that want to make spirituality all about you know, abusing your body and stripping, robbing yourself or stripping yourself of, of enjoying basic things of life. And Paul's saying, no, no. God, God supplies us with things partially so that we can enjoy them ourselves. Yes, we give. It's not, it's not an either or. Yes, we give away, but we also enjoy the things that God has given us, right? God, Paul, and when he, uh, Paul in Acts 14 talks about Part of what God does in testifying to his goodness is give to all, right? He gives rain, (laughs) like we already said from Jesus. Hey, rain falls on the just and the unjust. Fruitful seasons satisfies your heart with, I don't have the passage in front of me, but um, with uh, gladness, right? So this is something that God is not against that we enjoy things. Um, We could easily start to think that we're doing something wrong if we aren't giving all of our surplus resources away and living in a state of borderline destitution, that's not his perspective. He knows how to live in need and abundance. Um, and there's no formula for this. You know, it's, it's, 
I wish I could give myself and all of you some sort of formula with your finances, okay? Uh, give this amount and put this money over here and yada yada. It's not easy to be rigid in this regard because we all are in different places with our financial situation and I don't need to know your financial situation, um, but I do know this, that, that um, God has in part given us things that we have to enjoy, but that's not the end, full stop. <laughs> that will be a problem. That will be spending on your own pleasures because James says we should ask, and ex- you know, if we're asking and we're gonna actually receive, we're going to receive because we ask with good motives that we would spend it on others as well, right? Um, that being said about you know, spending, on, you know, spending uh, our money on things that we enjoy, we do need to realize that, um, or just acknowledge the fact every day, we can't help but acknowledge we live in a, a very materialistic culture, don't we? <laughs> we live in a, a culture awash with things and um, people seeking to be satisfied with things. That's the culture in which we live and we know that. So it's going to be a bit more challenging for us to deal with that front of things, isn't it? Um, I think we have a very easy time spending our money on things we enjoy. That's easy, it's easy for me to do that. It's harder for me to say, well, I don't really need that thing or need to spend my money in that way. I need to consider other people as more highly, you know, regard regard them more highly than myself. Um, But again, with rules and formulas that can lead to self-imposed guilt, or judgmentalism over others, so we have to follow the spirit in this regard. And I, I think we need to really just hash these things out in our accountability groups and be talking about them at that level because it's not something that we can just ignore. I mean, covetous, covetousness is real. Jesus says to beware of greed, right? It's a real thing. Covetousness is idolatry, according to Paul. First John ends, little children, keep yourselves from idols. I don't think he's thinking about going and bowing down at a shrine, you know? Maybe he is, but is, but it's more than that, isn't it? It's the idolatry of, of making anything, especially possessions, to be God to us, right? Anything. So to, um, to finish up this morning, just summarizing, um, we have lots of ways in which we, we should be giving, which are <clears throat> to give generously, to give in secret, to give expecting a reward from God, to give cheerfully, to give, excuse me, while trusting that God's going to meet our needs, and as we were just talking about, give being contented with what we have left to enjoy for ourselves. Contentment is huge, isn't it? That we not be constantly grasping after something more, something more, something more. Might be a good practice today for all of us just to look around our houses or just, you know, in your mind, whatever. Think about all the things we have, you know? Just basic, start with just basic needs. I mean, all of our needs are met, right? And then you go above that. It's like, we have so much, you know? We should be content. And it's so hard to be content because of marketing, because of this culture. But the Lord wants us to be content, thankful, and okay with whatever comes our way as far as abundance or want, right? Because he's gonna take care of us either way. He's with us. So um, we'll get into some more more specifics of... um, Who do we give to? What causes do we give to? And so forth. How much do we give next week? But that's where we're going to stop this morning. So I'll pray. And I'm assuming we have the fellowship halls open for food. So, Lord, we thank you for your scriptures to us, Lord, that you are so, um, just you, you meet us where we need to hear it, Lord, that 
finances is not some uh, thing off to the side, Lord, but our giving and our, our approach to money is right there in the thick of everything, Lord. It's very practical that you want us to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, um, to love you with our, our checkbook, Lord, our debit card, <laughs> the way that we spend our money, Lord. It should reflect that we know and love you. And Lord, just give us wisdom in these things. It's very hard to know sometimes um, where, to, where to land on some of these issues, Lord, in our own spending and giving, Lord. And so, so we ask you um, through your spirit to help us, Lord, to be wise in our giving and to um, just have a, a heart for this above all, Lord, to be willing to share. And that's what I pray above all things, that we would just have the right perspective on the gospel, that you are the God who gives us the best gift of all, Lord, so we can we can give um, of our resources to others um, as well, Lord, and that we're really just giving back to you because you've already given it, given us uh, what we have in the first place. So, Lord, uh, thank you again for being with us this morning in your scriptures. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.